Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to a summer edition of The King and I. Uh, I'm Ron Waxman with uh, Spencer King, uh, right now coming us from the mountains of North Carolina. Welcome, Spencer. Oh, it's good to be here, and it's good to be with you at the same time. Yeah, it's a beautiful view outside of your window. I can be jealous. I'm still stuck with the former presidents behind my picture on my wall. Uh, but let's uh, talk or cover maybe three contemporary topics, or maybe not that contemporary. Uh, some of them has been published recently. I'd like to start with the paper that you were the senior author. I think Patrick Soros was the first author about the future of angiography and maybe what's going to be the role of cardiac CTA in replacement of a coronary angiogram, the traditional way that we do it in the cat lab. So your thoughts, uh, are we going to stop doing a cardiac cath, at least electively, and uh, get all the patients referred by algorithm to cardiac CTA? Yeah, well, certainly not right away because of what, what exists. Everybody has cath labs, and also everybody's economically motivated to do caths, and it's, it's going to be a process. But inevitably, at some point, uh, I think that... Uh, all casts are probably going to be uh, non-invasive. Uh, diagnostic casts are going to be non-invasive. And what we uh, what was uh, said at the end of that paper is that there are even studies going on now uh, looking at that, uh, comparing the angiographic outcome and decision-making based on the angiogram, the decision-making based on, on the CTA, and uh, shows that the decisions are, are equal uh, either way. Uh, even uh, there are pending studies on uh, the starting up now on uh, cardiac surgery, where the patient will uh, be referred for cardiac surgery. Uh, the patient will undergo CTA. The CTA uh, will be shown uh, to a, a surgeon. Uh, they will make the decision whether to do surgery, how to do it, and drive the whole procedure. And uh, and uh, the uh, a surgeon will be blinded to the actual invasive coronary arterial. And uh, that will be uh, uh, quite interesting. So I think uh, we're moving down that road and uh, I look forward to it. I, th I think it, from the pr patient's perspective, uh, when we get to the point that uh, diagnostic evaluation is non-invasive and when it's well dis disseminated, and the patient is uh, identified as someone who needs to have their coronary arteries evaluated. Now we're in this whole story, should we continue with medical therapy only or should we consider any uh, revascularization, be it surgery or be it uh, PCI? From the patient perspective, uh, right now what the patient has to do is uh, has to be sent off to somewhere where, where the coronary arteriogram is done, usually admitted uh, to a, or at least go into a hospital, go into a cath lab, get on the table, have the uh, catheters put in. And, and then the patient is told, uh, I don't know what's gonna happen to you. Uh, you know, you're gonna have to sign a consent up front that by the way, this cath is being done, but also they may put stents in and may do something else. So think about it. If, if the diagnostic procedure was a CT, you would be sent off like you're sent off for a mammogram, like you're sent off for a colonoscopy, like you're sent off any any kind of, uh, well, colonoscopy is not, not a good analogy. 
because you do invasive things there uh, therapeutically. But you would, you would have the x-ray procedure done. It would come back to your referring cardiologist who you would then discuss, okay, should I have surgery? Should I have PCI? Should I stick with medical therapy? So I think the diagnostic uh, for, for elective or stable coronary artery disease, I think uh, somewhere in the future, diagnostic workup is going to be CTA with or without physiology added to it. Yeah, which I tend to agree with you. I mean, there are a lot of pluses. I mean, you're going to wipe up all the potential complications of a cardiac cat, which we see here and there. Um, it's becoming much more easier and sometimes extra time to think about the outcome and not reacting by any other reasons. It's a good thing. Now, with respect to the physiology, we're seeing more and more proliferation of FFRCT, and they seems to be reliable based on all the FFR invasive versus the FFRCT studies. So is that means that we can actually move one more step ahead? You have a high suspicious for coronary artery disease. You even skip the stress test or nuclear stress test, echo stress test, whatever stress test you apply, and you send the patient uh, who has a high suspicious age-wise, symptom-wise, uh, directly to a FFR-CTA. Uh, yes, uh, I think I think you're going to be skipping the nuclear exams. I think that's the, uh, you know, stress test, exercising people, seeing what their symptoms are with physical exercise and looking at the EKG. I don't think it's ever going to go away. That's very simple. It's an office procedure. People, you do it. And, uh, now I think a lot of people skip that because they say where well, we're going to go to a nuclear exam. Uh, but yes, I think uh, in many places uh, around the world, uh, uh, CTA has become the, the, the go-to uh, diagnostic method rather than ischemia testing. So anatomy testing versus ischemia testing. The question about the physiology added to it, I think remains uh, still a question. How much additional information is there? And of course, we have recent studies showing that uh, if you use physiology or you use just the anatomy, do you get a better outcome? Uh, if you use physiology, you avoid stenting some areas. If you do uh, anatomy, you end up uh, stenting more areas, but, uh, but in the areas you avoid, as, as uh, shown in one of the recent studies, uh, you may avoid some area that in fact progresses, or maybe it would have been better off if you had stented it. Uh, so, uh, this this question, I think, remains in limbo. Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, I, I think it's a very interesting because I can see a very quick shift in paradigm. Uh, but you hit on one point, what could slow it down or accelerate it? It's called reimbursement. <laughs> reimbursement is probably the key. The reimbursement right now in CTA is not very lucrative. Uh, nobody actually enjoying, uh, if they can say enjoying or benefit from that except maybe for the patient. Uh, so it's going to be up to the providers probably to dictate this uh, by changing the reimbursement mechanism. I don't believe that they will increase the reimbursement for CTA, but most likely they can make the invasive cardiac arterization so unlucrative, so that can shift it. But I think the forces that determine changing in paradigms like that uh, are usually driven by 
reimbursement. Your thoughts on that one? Yeah, and, and, and the, other, the big reimbursement uh, story is probably with the uh, nuclear stress test, which is uh, reimbursed uh, reasonably well. And so if you replaced a lot of nuclear stress testing with CTA, you're, from the overall expenditure, you'd be in good shape. And so what you know should happen to drive practice is the CTA reimbursement should go up and uh, become something that, uh, you know, hopefully physicians will eventually decide that the, or the payment system will decide that the most effective, the most, uh, you know, uh, informative diagnostic procedure is done and not just the one that pays the most money or balances the bills. But right now we're, we're, we're the reimbursement is definitely going to drive things in the near future. Yeah, and then that's maybe bring me to the second topic in this rapid fire series that we do for the summer. Uh, obviously, when you do a diagnostic cat, the number one complication is still vascular, vascular complication. I mean, whether you do femoral, whether you do radial C less. But there was a paper that came out in Jack this week and basically looking on a U.S. experience, bumping up the use of radial in general, not just for cat from the low 20s to the high 40s, but that was didn't budget all on the vascular complications. So this whole notion that if we're gonna move to a high radial, we're going to wipe up vascular complication doesn't happen. Now there could be many reasons for that, but uh, this whole uh, movement of go radial and a band femoral uh, is actually taking some more grounds, uh, even in the U.S. And for someone that was initially trained for femoral and trained many others in femoral, you have seen them all. I mean, what's your thoughts about this whole femoral versus or radial versus femoral approach and its impact on vascular complications? Well, you know, I, I'm somewhat nostalgic about femoral, but that's about the only reason I would think it's important. Uh, the radial approach is clearly, and I forget that if you're doing 40%, I don't know what that means, but but uh, there's a tremendous amount of evidence that the bleeding complications and access complications are dramatically reduced by using radial approach. I, I guess uh, one moderating thing that I've observed, and, and this was uh, from my role as in the, uh, chairing the New York State Cardiac Advisory Board, We've looked at it, uh, looked at the data from New York State, and we found a curious thing. Uh, it turns out that, uh, uh, and, and this is not certainly definitive, but the, the hospitals in, in, that are doing mostly radial and the hospital operators doing mostly radial seem to have a bit more complications with thermal approach. Uh, so the, the question is, if, you, if you're a full-time, er, everything is radial, uh, then, uh, and, but you need to do femoral or you do femoral, are you as good at the femoral as you were if you still did it? So, you know, if I was still running a training program, I would, uh, I would want people to be, you know, competent at least in both approaches. But I think from overall, I think radio has been a great advance. And, uh, when it can be done, it's uh, easier on the patient as less. uh, those bleeding complications and all that. So I, I'd, I'd have to see, uh, somebody will have to convince me that some breakthrough in femoral has happened that makes it 
now uh, immune from uh, complications. Now, I, I would guess that uh, if you're doing a lot of femoral, and certainly that's what I did all my, all my career, and you work at it, you, you can reduce your your bleeding risk as well. So, uh, but can you get it as low as uh, operators doing radial, uh, experts doing radial, I, I doubt it. Yeah, I mean, I like to a little bit um, take uh, a descending approach on that one, uh, because again, like a lot of things that are moved in our field, they moved almost like on, uh, I would say like it's a religious thing, it's a all or none. And you always been looked like a villain that you even going ephemeral to begin with. But let's look what happened with femoral over the years, right? We are doing everything ultrasound guided. We're using micropuncture uh, needle. Uh, it's a first stick in, and we have good closure devices. Uh, we have probably better backup if we do femoral compared to radial. And our crossover from femoral to radial is probably zero. So if you take radial, yes, uh, you see less local, uh, you don't see any growing complications, but you have to deal with loops, you have to deal with spasm, you have to deal with support, you have to deal with a lot of things that people say, yes, they overcome that. And But the question, what is the expense? What's the quality of the angiogram? Now, I know it's very unpopular to say what I'm saying right now, but I just don't see uh, the good studies. If you compare all of the above and giving a fair chance to do the femoral as you should do it, ultrasound guided, micropuncture, et cetera, et cetera, uh, versus a radial approach. And I, I remember you were even sitting on one steering committee. I think it was a study in women that uh, uh, that study basically was stopped prematurely because it was a futile to continue. There was no difference. And it was done among highly skilled radial operators uh, show no difference. So I, I think, let's put it this way. I don't want to say that radial is overrated, but I think the there is a, a notion that you have to go radial for every case. It's Pretty, and, and, and also the guideline doesn't tell you that. The guideline says if you're very proficient in femoral, you should stick to femoral and not necessarily do radial. No, no. I, I, if I was a patient, I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the operator. I say, what do you do? He said, well, I do femoral. I do right. Yeah. And, and you do a lot of it. Yeah. You have great results. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go with what the operator is comfortable with what, and what they think they need for my case. And as you point out, there's some things you need larger board uh, catheters, you need better backup, you need, uh, you know, and so you feel like uh, one approach, uh, usually femoral, is better for you than uh, than, than going radial. So uh, I think uh, a high volume operator with good results is who I want to go to. <laughs> and uh, uh, the, the, the approach is, is, is relatively uh, a minor part of the story. As you know, it's one of the metrics right now at the NCDR and we're getting the report and there is a push to move it up, which I don't object to that. I, I just say that what happens if you're a very proficient radialist and you need to convert to femoral, God forbid, I mean, if you don't know all the femoral approaches, it goes back to the training program that you said. And I think one of the explanation in my view to that paper, why the numbers of complication actually were not going down and actually rose 
they were more in the femoral arm, not in the radial arm. But I think what happened that people who were doing more and more radial, they forgot or didn't know they were not proficient in the femoral. So when they had to convert, or they did that other 50% of the cases femoral, they were not as good as they should have been. And that was on the expense. So you gain reduction in the radial, but the totality of the number of complications remain the same because you're sacrificing your skill set on the femoral approach. That, that would be my interpretation, but I know it's a very controversial topic. And um, That was the application of the New York uh, study that we were involved in, that uh, if you don't do, if you are exclusively radial, uh, then uh, uh, you do femoral and, and you lose your femoral skills, then uh, perhaps uh, perhaps that's not a, not a good story. So if we're not controversial enough, let's say maybe end with um, a lighter note, also controversial, uh, music in the cat lab or music in the OR or the news or what type of music you take there. So again, I don't remember that uh, when I was there at Emory, there was no music at the cat lab. Um, when I came to DC also, uh, well, that was varies. I mean, some rooms there were, some there were not, some there were radio. And apparently there was a piece at TCTMD with a lot of opinions, uh, goes all over the place. I'm saying uh, music is a healer. Uh, some individuals giving earphones to the patient with music, especially when they randomize them into <laughs> trials that they don't want to know what would be the randomization arm, et cetera, et cetera. So your thoughts about music in the cat lab or music in the OR? Uh, well, in the OR, the patient is unconscious, right? So the patient is, uh, maybe they're different. If the patient is awake, uh, then now you're playing the music for the patient and yourself. In the OR, your the music is uh, there in the background, uh, whatever the surgeon and the crowd want uh, Say it's not distracting. I, I don't. I don't. I don't make any uh, assessment of what surgeons should do. But for cardiologists in the cath lab, uh, yeah, I think you need to have a uh, take a take a broad look at it. You know, just because the cath lab staff wants to listen to the music uh, may not be the best thing for the patient. The patient may not be happy with that at all. In, in fact, I've not had a cath, but I had a I had a, a, a MR uh, not too long ago. And they put you in the thing and say, do you want to have music? And put the headsets on and stuff. And then, you, then they want to know what kind of music. And then you, you say, well, I don't, yeah, you got it. And then you, what you realize is, is the background noise is so much that the, the quality of the sound is terrible. And, and then you, you wish you said, no music, please, no music. So I don't know. The, the patient is in, uh, it's really not in a position to, to, uh, uh, you know, drive this sort of thing. You could say, you know, do you want to have music? The patient says, uh, you know, whatever you want. I mean, I'm here, you know, <laughs> who, who am I? I'm the, you got me under duress. So uh, you can do whatever you want. So I, I, I've never been a big fan of uh, music in the lab just to entertain the cath lab staff. Uh, and then you get uh, this, this decision about what kind of music and you got the uh, labs, some of your, lab crew like one kind of music some another how you how you going but uh if everybody comes together and everybody thinks that the music is great and uh, they like to do it and they've been doing it i've got i've got no objection but i think the patient ought to be yeah i'm, I'm reminded of the one that uh 
somebody, Atelio, I think, in one of the demonstration courses, Atelio Masri had a, uh, not Atelio, uh, uh, Colombo, Atelio uh, Colombo had, uh, had a patient who, who was uh, an opera singer or something, and he had to, did the thing, and he had, and he had the patient actually pr provide the music, so the patient began, <laughs> begins to sing. <laughs> so maybe the patient should uh, try it. I don't know. I, I saw this whole chain of things about the music and a lot of funny things about what kind of music and what people said they would use things. You know, I, I made the comment that, uh, you know, I don't want to, uh, if I was a patient, I would not like to hear a nearer my God to thee being played in the background or something like that. Yeah. So one thing, uh, you're absolutely right. I think uh, it reminds me, you take a Uber and the driver asks you, do you like music or you don't like music? And then what type of music you like? I mean, if you, if he really cares about you as part of the service, so you're going to give him five stars rather than two stars. But uh, I don't recall any time in the cat lab that patients were asked to be choosing the type of music or if music at all, they basically it's a given thing. And I, I, I think uh, it's something that should be considered. You, you no, actually, no, no, actually, the patient is not considered much in the care. It's all, you know, certainly demonstration courses, which I've written and criticized a lot about what we do. You know, we're talking, we're performing. It's a performing thing. You're performing for the audience, either, you know, online or, or by in an auditorium. And the poor patient is lying there, you know, hearing all this banter. In the cath lab itself, absent a, you know, a teaching situation, you're working with fellows, perhaps, or just working by yourself. The... the the music and so forth is seems to me and, and what you say and everything, all, all that ought to be considered in the context of you got a conscious patient lying there. And what is that patient receiving? Uh, what are they hearing? Uh, patients like to hear, you know, encouraging things. I had a root canal done last week. Okay. I was in the dentist chair and uh, I got to thinking, you know, what, what am I wanting to hear? Am I wanting to hear the uh, oops? No, I don't want to hear a, <laughs> Uh, oh, uh, give me this. Oh, no. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, I don't know. Maybe we have to. No, I don't want to hear anything like that. I want to hear things like, oh, good. All right. Yeah, it's working fine. Yeah. <laughs> These are the things the patient wants to hear. Yeah. So I guess if the patients want to hear music, he can bring his own uh, iPhone, put the uh, earbuds and choose the music and no one is going to be um, have to wonder or choose a music preference for the patient. But, you know, there is an issue. Sometimes you really want your patients awake or sedated because if you want to communicate, and, you know, it's always during the case that the nurse comes to the patient who's sitting or lying, actually, relaxed, doesn't say anything, and then she asks you, hey, Mr. Mr. Smith, how do you feel? Do you have any chest pain? And you say, why in the hell she's asking? He was not even complaining, <laughs> and she's just meant good. And now she wake up the patient, he get like, a, like, why are you asking? Should I worry about anything? So, so it's a lot of issue related to the, uh, the noise and the verbiage that goes. Uh, I, so we talked about the patient, but you know, I, when I read all those comments, some of the um, commenters were saying that it's actually a relaxing thing for the, for the staff or for the cat lab. But even that one I would challenge because if you have six, seven people, or even four people in the room, one like to have classic music, the other one want to, to hear the sport uh, live case that's going on, live game that's going on, et cetera, et cetera. So 
how do you settle on that? So I think overall it's a destruction and uh, the cat lab is not the concert hall and it should be removed. But again, I'm probably in a minority here, but I say you come to do the case, you have to focus on the case. And if you need to relax, then go outside and relax yourself. But you don't need to add more destruction to what's happening in the cat lab. That's my own opinion. But again, I may be in a minority here. And not in a minority on this call. Uh, I'm certainly on your side. <laughs> I think it's the cath lab crew, my cath lab crew. I, I don't want them to be totally relaxed. I want them to be very alert, <laughs> looking after what they're doing. Relaxation is is after you're done with the case. Good. Okay. So we covered three. Con Controversial topics. I think we'll have to follow how they're going to emerge over the next few years. Uh, I think that's conclude our. Uh, I think probably going to be maybe we'll have one more summer edition of the King and I. Thank you, Spencer. Enjoy the weather. Uh, it looks like cooler than Washington D.C. and definitely prettier behind your window. Great. Yes, I intend to enjoy it. Thank you. Bye bye.